to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Second Corinthians chapter five. We are taking our time as we're going through Second Corinthians chapter five because I think this is our fourth message. I think in Second Corinthians five, uh, it might even be our fifth message. I don't remember, but uh, it is. It's crazy because chapter five is just filled with such awesome verses, and there, there's a couple that we're going to see here today that that. Um, we will look at that you're going to go, oh, wow, that's where that is. And we read it last week. We read one of them last week. But um, for the sake of context, um, I am going to look at, and I'm just going to read the whole chapter very, very, very quickly so that we can understand. You can stand up. Why don't we stand up? This will kind of get the blood moving in us, and then we'll sit back down after I get done reading. Um, First Corinthians chapter, or sec, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter five, beginning in verse one. Paul speaking, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee, is, or is God, this is the very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Yep, that's where that verse is. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yep, that's where that verse is. We are confident, yet well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And there again. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to the Lord. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done to the body, done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And again, there is another verse. There, knowing, therefore, verse 11, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we're well-known to God, and I also trust are well-known in your own consciences. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you an opportunity to glory on our behalf, that you may have something to answer those who glory in appearance and not in heart. Those uh, hot air preachers that are out there that are fluffing themselves up and saying, look at me. He says, for if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. Or for of sound mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ constrains us. Yep, there's that verse. Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Great verses right there. Here's another one. Verse 16. 
Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. And again, another verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Now, our passage right here is, that we're going to be teaching today is in verse 16 through 21. But here I want you, for the sake of time, so I don't have to go back and reread it, I want you to listen to and find a word that just kind of sticks out to you. Now, all things, verse 18, are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him, yep, here we go again, another great verse, for he made him, Jesus Christ, God made Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Father, wow, this passage has just verse after verse after verse that are so impacting to a Christian's life. No doubt if anyone has been a Christian in here or in the hearing of this message for any amount of time, surely... They've had this verse spoken to them. They've had this verse that has been revealed to them to these verses that one one or more of these verses used for them or for something that they're going through or maybe something that they're questioning, something that they're struggling with. A verse here is something that God has used in their life. You have used in their life. And, and now we see it here just in this passage, seeing it all in context, hearing Paul's heart to partake or to, to articulate, excuse me, to articulate the calling with which he was called. And those who were with him were called and those who are listening to the words or reading these words, they're called also. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand this passage today. Help us to get through it. Help us not to just get through it for the sake of getting through it. But, Lord, touch our lives. Speak to us today. Lord, help us to walk out of here today knowing that we didn't just come in here and sit through a teacher going through a Bible study and we walk out of here not even knowing anything that we just talked about here today. But I pray, Lord, that you would use words that come from my mouth, from this pulpit, to the ears and to the hearts and the minds of those who are hearing. Lord, may you do a work in everyone's life who's hearing this message. Speak to us. Lord, help us to understand your, your passionate plan for us. And Lord, we pray that you bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So beginning in verse 16, what we saw here is, uh, therefore, we re- from now on, Paul says, 
From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. And so here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, here, Jesus, we knew him when he was here in the flesh, but he's no longer here in the flesh. He's in heaven with the Lord. We don't know him that same way anymore. Now, understand, Paul is identifying himself with seeing the, the, the Christ in the flesh. You remember it was it was Paul who his name was Saul and he was one of the chief antagonists against Christians after the resurrection of Christ. And so when did Paul see Jesus in the flesh? Well, no doubt in the many times that Jesus was is was in Jerusalem, somewhere along the line, I have to believe that Paul saw Jesus. We don't know of many of those dialogues. We know really very little of any uh, interaction that Jesus had with Paul until Jesus had died and had been risen from the dead and he had ascended into heaven and the church began to grow and the church began to blossom outside of Jerusalem and Paul hated the church so much, or Saul, not Paul, Saul. He changed his name from Saul to Paul. And Saul hated the church so much that he was securing letters from those of higher authority, religious higher authority than he, the chief priest, in order to go into the very outlying areas and wherever he would suspect that there might be a Christian group, much like what we are right now, meeting. In that day, if we were meeting, Paul would come through with, with you know, a, a, a group of, of, of religious zealots that would come in. And they would arrest us and take us. And in many cases, they would beat you and, and imprison you because you're believing in this Christ. You believe in Jesus. And so Paul... He vehemently hated the church. He hated it. And he was actually on his way up to Syria. From Jerusalem, he was actually traveling on a little donkey with a, another garrison, you know, with a, with a bunch of people that were going to go up. And he had secured papers to go up into Damascus, Syria, to go and root out the Christians that were up there. No doubt to separate family from kids. To teach them a lesson. Do not preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. For that is a blasphemous thing to say that God became a man and hung on a cross for mankind. You're telling me that my God, Jehovah, Yahweh God, would submit Himself to man, would humble Himself to a point where He would Die at the hands of his own creation? Preposterous, Paul said, would, die, would think. And Paul would, with that mindset, go seek out those that were saying that God became a man in the form of Jesus Christ. And he lived among us and he died. God died in human flesh, he died. Jesus Christ hung on a cross. God in human flesh. Died on a cross to save mankind. We're going to see that here in just a second. But he died on a cross. And Paul's going, man, I, 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 don't, I don't like that. 
I don't like that you limit and minimize Yahweh down to such low, into such a low position that he would succumb himself, you know, humble himself and, be, and, and succumb himself to, to mankind to, to be killed. No. And so he's on his way to Damascus. When God knocked him, Jesus knocked him off his high horse. I always like to say it that way. Knocked him off his high horse. And, and then he says, Saul, Saul. <laughs> and, and Saul goes, who is it, Lord? And now the, the meaning of Lord there is just, who is it, sir? <laughs> he wasn't calling anybody God at that time. Who is it, Lord? Who is it, sir? It's Jesus whom you're persecuting. What do you think went through Paul's head? What do you think went through his, his whole body? Fear. What? You're dead. I'm hearing a voice. I don't... What in the world? Who are you? I'm Jesus. Whom you're persecuting. Saul, isn't it hard for you to kick against the goads? Nowhere along in that line do we see Jesus rebuking Saul. We see that God looked at Saul's life and saw his passion. Why, why would he not rebuke him? Well, there was a, a thought back in that day. There was a thought back in that day that a religious Jew, a leader, especially even a member of the Sanhedrin, as Paul was, a Pharisee of Pharisees, he called himself, that he, if he lived his life perfectly according to the law and lived his life perfectly before God for one 24-hour period, that in his works, he would induce the Messiah, God to push the Messiah down upon the face of the earth. Moses says there's one that is a prophet, just like me. He's going to rise up in these last days, and you're going to listen to him. He's going to do greater things than I did. But he's going to come on the scene, and that was what the Jews were looking for. They were looking for that individual, and Jesus was that individual. But Paul's thinking, no way. Not in that manner. No way would God ever allow himself to be spiked to a cross. No way would God ever... Humil be humiliated at the hands of his creation, no way. And can't you, I mean, we know, most of us know the plan of salvation. We, most of us know who Jesus was, the birth. We, we understand his life. We understand his, his, maybe his crucifixion, his resurrection. We understand that. And so we know the story. We know how it all plays out. But put yourself in Paul's shoes. Here, you've been brought up your whole life. I mean, he basically knew the Old Testament verse by verse by heart. Here's a man that was very religious. And to think that God would ever be humiliated at the hands of man? I mean, in a way, you can kind of see Paul's confusion. And I believe that it was, it was that that Paul was thinking... If I live perfectly, I'm going to root this thing out for God. I'm going to do God's bidding for him. I'm going to go and I'm going to root the church out. I'm going to, this, this, 
the Christians. Now, by the way, the word Christians used to be a term that was a a knock. It was actually a negative. It, Christian was was a negative had a negative connotation. So when you were called a Christian, it wasn't a good thing. A Christian was somebody. It was a knock on you. And Paul, when he'd used the word Christian, he was not looking at it in a favorable light. You're following a Christ, but it's not the Christ. These Christians. And so here's the thing. Paul, he gets knocked off his high horse and, and he's blinded. He says, Paul, you're going to be blinded for three days. But I'm going to send somebody to you and he's going to, you're going to receive your sight. When you receive your sight, you're going to know who I am. And, and number two, you're going to go out there and I'm going to use you to preach to the Gentiles. Everything that Paul would be a totally against, no way does a Jew have anything to do with a Gentile. And now you're telling me I need to go and preach before kings and, and, and rulers of nations. I'm going to be brought before them, but I also am going to be a mouthpiece that goes to the Gentiles? Wow. I am not in Kansas anymore, man. Toto was the name of this horse, probably. We're not in Kansas anymore. And so he goes into the, you know, Damascus, into the street called Straight. And here he is, you know, locked up in a house, if you will, kind of behind doors, blind. He can't see. And then somebody comes along, you know, and then Jesus comes along and appears himself before Ananias and says, Ananias, I have a job for you. He goes, yeah, hey, Lord, oh, this is awesome. Woohoo, Lord. You want me to do something for you? Oh, it would be my pleasure. Here's what I want you to do, Ananias. I want you to go to Damascus. All right, all right. Damascus is a little hairy, but okay, I'll do it. Yeah, Lord, I'll go to, I'll go to Damascus. Well, here's what it is. Locked up into a, in a house there. Staying in a house there, I have a servant of mine. He's blind right now, and I'm, gonna go, I'm having you go there to pray for him that he would receive his sight. Oh, Lord, that's awesome. You can imagine what you'd feel like if Jesus were appearing to you and asking you to do him a favor, to do his bidding for him, right? Who is it, Lord? Well, it's Saul. Saul? Lord, is this the Saul that we've heard about? Is the one that's going around killing people? That is persecuting the church? that's doing all this stuff to the church? Lord, are you sure? <laughs> Is this a trap? Yeah, like I'm Jesus appearing to you and I'm going to send you into a trap to be killed. Yep, that's what I'm doing, Ananias. No, that's not what he was doing. Saying, Ananias, I, I have that job for you. And so Ananias is probably a lot like, you know, uh, Thomas, when Jesus said, hey, you know, when Lazarus was dead, you know, he says, hey, we got to go back and wake Lazarus up. Hey, the disciples said, listen, if he's asleep, he'll wake himself up. He goes, no, Lazarus is dead. In fact, he's been dead, and it's for your sake. I'm glad that he's dead, because it's for your sake that you're going to see the glory of the Lord. And, and, but we're going to go back there. And, and, and one of the disciples said, Lord, last time we were there, you know, uh, 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 they sought to kill you. That's a, hair, that's a pretty hot place for you right now. That's probably not a good place for you to go. You ever give counsel to the Lord? I, I do a lot. I'm always wrong. He's always right. 
The disciples were wrong at that time. The Lord says, listen, he's dead. We're going to go back to wake him up. We're dead. He's dead. We're going to go back and rise him back up. We're going to go back and I have a job. I'm, we're going to go back in. And Thomas said, well, let's go with him so we can die with him. And I, I think that that was very sarcastic. I think he's going, hey, let's go. Well, we're going to go and die with him. You ever feel that way with the Lord? The Lord calls you to do something. You go, all right, Lord, that's it. All right, you want me to lose my job? Fine, I'll do it. That's, that's, the, that's the feeling there. I think that's probably the feeling of Ananias when he went to go and pray for Saul. What do you think before he knocked on that door? What do you think that Ananias was doing? He's probably praying for himself, right? Before he knocked on the door of Saul. And he goes in and he, he prays. And he calls him Brother Saul. He prayed for him. And like scales fell from Saul's eyes. And, and he, he was able to see. And from that moment on, Saul became one of the greatest, probably the most uh, greatest world evangelist you've ever seen in your life. Why is it that God didn't beat down on, on Saul? Because he saw the passion. He saw the, the, the fervency that Saul just wanted to do the right thing. He wanted to please the Lord. And God took that and he transformed and he changed him. And he, took, he had to take Paul or Saul out into the desert for three years to unthink him, to rethink him. To take all of the ways that he thought that he understood how God was working to transfer it around to understand passages like Isaiah 53. He has no form or comeliness that we should behold him. Like a sheep led before a slaughter, so he opened not his mouth. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And, and as the Jew might look at that Isaiah 53 passage, they'll look at that and go, I, I, I don't know, um, I, I, don't, I don't know really who that is. I think that that's Israel. He is Israel. Well, no, Israel is never known as a he in Scripture. It's always known as a she. And so there's a problem there. Well, it really is kind of signifying that he, she, you know, let's not argue over semantics. We will over everything else, but not here, because we don't really know what Isaiah 53 is talking about. Was Paul was in the desert. He understood what Isaiah 53 was talking about. Jesus was. The one. He was the lamb led before the slaughter. The Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. It pleased the Father to bruise him. Father, Father, why hast thou forsaken me from the cross? You see, Jesus fits Isaiah 53 absolutely perfectly. And, and so Paul, he had to relearn these things. So Paul says, hey, we saw him after the flesh. But no longer do we know Jesus after the flesh. We know that he's in heaven right now, where he sits and he makes intercession for us between the Father and us. That's where the Lord is right now. That's where Jesus is right now. He once was here in the flesh, but now he's in heaven and he's working through all of those that are his kids. All of those that are his kids. So here's the thing. From now on, we regard no one after the flesh. For, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, 
yet now we know him thus no longer. So here's the thing. Paul says, we, we regard no one after the flesh anymore. There's a story back in Numbers chapter uh, 10, verses 29 through 32. We don't have time to go and look at it, but there's a fellow by the name of Hobab. He's the son of, of uh, uh, Jethro of the Beverly Hills, Billy's, not really. He's the son of Jethro, who is the father-in-law of Moses, okay? So Moses is out in the wilderness and he's, he's you know, leading the children of Israel through the wilderness. And here, Jethro's son, Hobab, is with his brother-in-law, Moses. But Hobab is a Midianite. You remember when Moses fled Egypt, he went into the land of Midian. And that's where he got his wife. It's interesting, but when you look at the Midianites, the Midianites were not, though they were children of Abraham, they began to marry themselves and became much more worldly. And so they became a very worldly people. To the point so that even towards the end of, of Moses' time here on the earth, God had, had, had called him to go in and, and, and battle against the Midianites. The Midianites were not a good people. They were not a good people. And yet, and you can imagine that, Moses' wife's family are Midianites. God calls Moses, hey, go in and wipe out the Midianites. Okay, that's going to make Thanksgiving a little tough this year. But, he did it. But Jethro was with Moses. Or not Jethro, but Hobab is with Moses, his brother-in-law. And he's about to take off and go back to, to Midian. And, and Moses says, Hobab, stay with us. You know this land better than any of us. You, you stay here with us. And where the Lord takes us and how the Lord blesses us, we'll bless you, man. We'll do the same for you. You can partake with all of us. Become part of us. Become part of our group. Become part of us. And then they journey. That's what Numbers, Numbers chapter 10, you know, verses 29 through 32 talk about. Even though Hobab, the brother-in-law of Moses, was a Midianite, Moses treated him just as if he were an Israelite. You see that? He treated him just as if he was an Israelite. He included his brother-in-law in the journey to the promised land. And so what does this mean to us? What does this have to do with anything of this verse 16 of, cha- of 2 Corinthians chapter 5? If we begin to regard no one according to the flesh, what we are doing is treating everyone as if they are in the faith. As if they're Christians. It's what Moses did with Hobab. I'm going to treat you just like I'm treating the Israelites. And so, let's put some flesh on it. Let's say that you're at the tire store and you're, you know, signing your firstborn away because of how much tires cost, you know, and and you're talking to the guy at the counter, tire guy at the counter, he's promising you all these things about the tires, and you get a phone call in the middle of it, and I'm in a very basic, very nondescript, you know, illustration here. But you get a phone call and your AC guy's over at your house because your AC was broken. You were going down to get tires and you 
called your AC guy and your AC guy calls and you say, hey, excuse me, tire guy, I, I got I to gotta take this phone call. It's an important call. So you take it and the AC guy goes, hey, man, I got some good news and some bad news. I found the problem. Okay, there's the good news. Yeah, what's the bad, you know, what's the, that's, the, that's all of the good news? Yes, that's all the good news. The bad news is now coming. Okay, what's the bad news? Well, there's two options. The bad news is, is that your compressor is completely and totally wiped out. Now, this is a little kind of similar to what we've got going on right here with our air conditioner right here. This air conditioner, this is exactly what's going on with this air conditioner. Air conditioner guy goes, hey, we can get a compressor for your unit, but because your unit is so old and they don't make it anymore, they don't even make any more compressors for it. And so here's the thing. I might be able to find an old one. I think I have found an old one out of a junk you know, compressor or out of a junk AC unit. But it's going to cost you somewhere between twelve and fifteen hundred dollars for me to to get it, buy it, put it in, recharge everything, and get it going. Okay, well that's all right. Well, how long will that work? Well, there's the problem. I don't know. It might work for a week. Might work for two weeks. Might work for a month, three months, six months. It might work for ten years. Don't know. But there's no warranty on it. So you're telling me I got to spend twelve to to $1,500 on something that you don't even know if it's going to work. Yeah. All right. What's the option number two? Well, option number two is you spend $5,000 and put a new unit in. Wow. I don't know what to do. All right. Why don't you call me back on Monday? Maybe this is a Friday. Why don't you call me back on Monday? And so you get off the phone. You go and talk to the tire guy. Say, hey, I'm sorry. I had to take that phone call. The tire goes, hey, man, everything okay? You look a little disturbed. You, go, you know what? Here's the thing. I just got a phone call from my AC guy, and here I'm having to buy these tires, and it's expensive to buy the tires, and I have to have them, and, 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 and you need to go on. But here's the thing. My AC went out. He gave me two options. The two options are twelve dollars to $1,500 for an old one, and you tell the story to the tire guy. And the other is $5,000 for a new one. Tire guy goes, hey, man, what are you going to do? Yeah, I don't know. You get, tell me, call him back on Monday. Here's regarding someone, no one after the flesh. You look at that guy and you go, hey, you know what? I don't know what to do. Would you do me a favor, tire guy? Would you pray for me to make the right decision? Would, would you pray? Just ask the Lord to give me wisdom on, on whether I should get the old or the new. I don't know what to do. Now, to the tire guy, he's going to go, Ooh, what? what are you talking about? Pray? Yeah, and, and then you can actually, here's an opportunity to even open up, to invite him to church. Hey, man, I go to Calvary Chapel Christian Fellowship. And on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, hey, man, if the Lord shares anything with you, he kind of gives you, kind of helps you with the answer. Hey, would you come over and let me know? Or give me a call on my phone. Let me know. Don't, not being weird or anything, but hey, can you call and let me know? Or can you come over to the church and let me know? I'd love to see you over there, but here's the thing. What you've done is that you've, you've not regarded that person after the flesh. What you've done is you begin to treat him like a Christian. You begin to treat him like he's in the faith. And what ends up happening with people when you begin to treat them as if they're in the faith, they begin to act like they're in the faith. And the next thing you know, hey, wait a minute, I'm praying to God. Maybe he goes home and goes, that crazy loon, he told me to go and pray to God about this air conditioner. That's just weird. You mean people pray about air conditioners? And maybe that guy sits there and can't sleep that night and sits there and goes, guy was asking me to pray to God. Why, why would he think that I have an inroad to God? 
I don't know. Who knows what God's going to do in that instance? But here's the thing. You treat them as if they're in the faith. You treat them. You minister to people. You, you include them. You don't have cliques. Christianity shouldn't have cliques. Christianity should regard no one after the flesh. We are to treat everyone as if they're in the faith. You minister to them. You love them. When you look at Christ, the people that he was the most familiar with and the most comfortable around would be people we would go, man, Jesus, you're kind of hanging around with a shady group right there, man. That's, those guys are prostitutes. Dude's a tax collector. Now, we don't look at it as a tax, well, we do kind of, but we, not in the way they did. A tax collector was just a bad guy back in that day. A tax collector was a Jew that worked for the Romans. And the thing is, is the Romans employed that Jew to say, here's the thing, you need to extract this tax from these people. And if you can get anything over and above what it is that we require, you get it for your own wages. And so, you are a double agent, man. You are just, you're a, you're a backstabber, you know, if, if you're a Jew, because you didn't really get along well with the Romans. And to actually have one of your own countrymen working for the enemy, and then extracting money from you, and then actually extracting more so that you get more money for it. You, you want to talk about one of the most despised professions to the Jew, to the general population of the Jews? It was tax collectors. They hated tax collectors. They detested them. And here's who Jesus is hanging out with. And this is who he's ministering to. And here's Jesus. Hey, Levi, come on out. I want to, I want to, uh, I want to, I want to, wait, wait. uh, What's his name? Uh, The little Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, not Levi. Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. And Jesus says, hey, wee little Zacchaeus, come on out of that tree. I'm going to eat at your house today. Wait a minute. The Messiah, Jesus, God in human flesh, is going to go to a tax collector's house? Doesn't he understand that we Jews don't like tax collectors? And that's exactly where Jesus went. And when Jesus went to his house, he didn't say, now listen, you gotta, you got to recognize, you need to believe in me, you need to, you know. He, he just went there and he ministered, he just ate and he treated him as, as if he was just a normal person. He included him. And it was at that time that Zacchaeus says, wow, Lord, salvation has come to this house today. Uh, listen here, uh, Lord... I'm going to tell you something. If I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. Here's the other thing. If I have done anyone wrong, and you know he had, right? Every tax collector did. I'm going to repay them. I'm going to repay them fourfold. Here's the thing. Jesus goes, salvation has come to this house today. Why? Because he treated the guy not out of piosity, not looking down his nose, but he ministered to that person. We are going to spend six weeks in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is important, guys, because here's the thing. Your greatest ability, your greatest opportunity in this day and this age, and by the way, it's not just for this day and this age, it's something that Jesus did himself. It's to treat no man, regard no man after the flesh. 
Don't look down your nose at the sinner. You are that stinking sinner just like they are that you're looking down your nose at. If you're looking down your nose, oh, you're a prostitute. You know, and, and, and you sit there and you look at that and you go, well, we've got our own problems today. I mean, I would never associate with some of the things that are going on out there today. Really? Do you think that Jesus would not associate? For, do you think that Jesus didn't die on a cross for them? Do you think that Jesus wasn't thinking about them? You think he was just thinking about you on the cross? He was thinking about them. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It didn't say, for God so loved Don and Don only that he gave his only begotten son that if Don would believe in him, he would not perish but have everlasting life. Sorry, everyone else. But you're not good enough. No, man, we're, none of us are good enough. None of us are good enough. Let's break down this wall of division where, where we, we, it's going to take you out of your comfort zone. Promise is going to take you out of your comfort zone. What do you think the disciples, when they went into Zacchaeus' house, what do you think they felt like? Are you kidding me? He's taking us into a tax collector's house. Is anybody watching? Is anybody seeing us? Oh my goodness, I can't go to my book club this week. And they went in. But then they saw something miraculous happen because Jesus ministered to this guy where he was. Salvation came to Zacchaeus. And isn't that what it's about? That's what it's about. It's about to see people saved. It's about to see you saved. It's about seeing you saved. It's about seeing your loved ones saved. It's about seeing the most... Think of in your mind the most disgusting person that you can think of. Who is the, the one most unworthy individual in your life that you can think of? Not just in your life, but just that you can think of. Maybe it's somebody even in another country. Maybe it's, I don't know who it is. But all of us can think of a person that we think is very, very, very bad and they are totally unworthy to be forgiven of their sin. Who is that person for you? Who do you hate? Who do you say there is no forgiveness for them? There's no forgiveness for them. Can I tell you that Jesus died for them just as much as he died for you? And if they're still alive, he's still not done with them. And he's still trying to reach them. You ever want to, you ever get yourself discouraged to a point where you're going, oh, God just has given up on me. He doesn't love me anymore. He doesn't want, he doesn't want to give me life anymore. He, I, think I've, I think I've committed the unpardonable sin. I think I'm done. I think God is done with me. I think I'm over. I think I, I, I'm doomed. I'm going to hell. There's no hope for me. You ever have anybody that says that to you? Maybe you've said that to yourself. Here's, here's your next statement you need to say either to yourself or to the person that says that. Say this. Here's a quick little test to see if what you say is accurate or not. Do this. It's a very quick test. Just do this. Go. Breathe in. Breathe out. Are you alive? Yeah. 
God's not done with you. Because you're still alive. He is still offering you oxygen in your lung, lungs that keep you alive. And as long as you're alive, he will never stop pursuing you. He is the hound of heaven, man. He is the hound of heaven. Oh, but the person is so evil. Maybe it's a world dictator. Do you know that the last known world dictator that we've ever had upon the face of this earth was not Hitler. Hitler was not a world dictator. He wanted to be, but he never became one. Caesars were not world dictators. They actually had councils that they had to, to run you know, information through and what have you. And, and so they were not world dictators. They acted like it, but they weren't. The last known true, true world dictator that was upon the face of this earth was a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Who Saddam Hussein says, I'm a direct descendant of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king in Babylon, which is modern day Iraq. And we look at that and he was evil. His word was law. If right now he said, I want Josh... I want Josh's head. Someone come here and take his head off. Right now. That was law. They had to do it. Because Nebuchadnezzar said, so let it be written, so let it be done. That's my, my word is gospel. Not gospel, it's not good news. My word is truth. My word is, is final. And so as they come over here with one of those samurai swords to go, and then, and then Nebuchadnezzar goes, nah, I don't want to do it anymore. He's good. I like Josh. In fact, Josh, I want I wanna, to elevate you to a governor. You know, now that's just wacko. Just a second ago, you made a law that said that you were going to take his head off. But now you're saying you're going to make him a governor. That doesn't make sense, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, they would never say that. Because Nebuchadnezzar's word was law. Every word, everything that he said, that's who he was. And so here's the thing. Here's the thing. Nebuchadnezzar, I believe we're going to see him in heaven. He got saved. Sorry, my family's taking off right now because they have an open house in 20 minutes, 25 minutes. It's not because they're offended because I talked about Nebuchadnezzar. Here's the thing. We're going to end. But here's the thing. There's nobody... That's beyond the reach of Jesus right now. God has a plan and he may be using you to touch someone's life that the world, that the church might look at them and say beyond the scope of salvation. Maybe you are here today and you aren't saved and you're going, "Ah, I'm beyond the reach of salvation. I'm beyond the reach of forgiveness. I know what I've done and there's no way that Jesus would ever forgive me. Word has it, I haven't done much research in that, but word has it that Jeffrey Dahmer, the guy who raped and killed boys and cut their bodies up and ate them and stored them in his freezer and he had a lot of supply and he ended up getting busted. Think he was saved? I don't know, he wasn't saved. He ended up going to jail going to prison. He ended up, according to what I understand, he ended up giving his heart to the Lord. Do you think that that's fair? Now that takes you into and puts you into a moral crossroads. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That guy's in heaven right now? Well, if he accepted the Lord, yes, he is. 
Well, if Jeffrey Dahmer is in heaven, that's a heaven that I don't want to be in. And that's a lot of people will say that. Okay. You'd rather be in a place with Hitler. You'd rather be in a place with the devil. Instead of a place where someone had come to grips with the evil that they did and they've repented before God, they're never, there's nothing upon the face of this earth that that human being could have ever done to pay for what he did to those families of those kids that he killed. There's nothing he could do to ever, to ever you know, uh, completely and totally be forgiven from anyone. The, the guy was a waste as far as we are concerned. But as far as God was concerned, he was still not beyond the reach of grace. And so you might look at that and go, hey, I don't want to be in heaven where there's a guy like that. Well, consider the alternative. There's only two places to go to. There's heaven or there's hell. And, and so here's the thing. Where would you rather be? Well, if he's there, I, I don't want to be either place. Sorry, you're going to be in one. There's, you're going to be in one. Well, I don't know that I want to serve God if he would forgive something like that. Why? Doesn't that now just prove to you the depth of God's love and his ability to forgive? Do you think that whatever you have done in your life is so far beyond God's reach that God could not forgive you also? What I see is that Jeffrey Dahmer, if he, would, if he actually did give his heart to the Lord, he's a true trophy of grace. He didn't deserve salvation. But let's look in the mirror. My goodness, every single one of us, if we look in the mirror, none of us deserve salvation. We all deserve hell. And it goes to just show the absolute love that God has for us that he would send his son to die on a cross. If Jeffrey Dahmer was the only man to ever live... Jesus would have gone to the cross to pay for his sin. That's hard. It's hard to reconcile that as a human being because morally it really messes with us. Spiritually, we sit there and we look at God and go, wow. This isn't games. This is serious. This is deep. This is heavy. That you would love us that much. You would love anyone that much. You'd forgive their sin? My, what a loving God you've got to be. How do you ever forget that stuff, God? How do you ever allow? How? How? What it does is it shows you the grace and the goodness of the Lord. There's hope for you. There's hope for me. There's hope for anyone who still has breath. Regard no one after the flesh from this day forward. If you think that they deserve judgment, look in a mirror, so do you. We need to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. We need to reach out to the world around us. Because the world that is so desperately lost, they know that they're lost. Before you became a Christian, didn't you know you were lost? I did. And so here's what. You reach them. And you show them the love of Christ. Does that make sense? Father, thank you so much for today. And I I pray, Lord, that even though maybe this isn't how we would handle it, maybe we wouldn't 
forgive like you would forgive. If truth be known, Lord, if we looked in the mirror, we wouldn't forgive ourselves either. We don't understand your grace. We don't understand your love, the depths of it. But Lord, we embrace it. And we thank you, God, for loving us that much that you would go to such extremes to secure salvation for me, for anyone who would call upon your name. I don't have to like what somebody has done. I can be repulsed by what someone has done and yet there is still opportunity for you to touch a life. God, help me to judge as only you would judge. Help me not to see people through my eyes. Help me to regard no one after the flesh. Help me to regard no one after the way that I think that they should be treated. God, help me. Help me to see them through your eyes. When I get into a place of major judgmentalism, Lord, help me to see through your eyes as you're hanging on the cross, crying out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Knowing that full well that you're hanging on the cross for their sin for the most vile man ever to live, vile woman to ever live. You, you died for them to give them opportunity. Now whether or not they respond is in their court. Lord, you died on the cross for everyone. When it says you died for the world, it doesn't exclude anyone. It says whosoever would believe in you would not perish but have everlasting life. We can't pick and choose, Lord, who the whosoevers are. And so, Lord, as we look at the whosoevers out there in the world, Lord, help us to see them through your eyes. Help us to love them through your love. Help us to reach them for your purpose, Lord, for your glory. God, help us to be used by you to touch people's lives. That they would see the love that you have for them. doesn't mean that they stay in their sin. It doesn't mean that you're okay with the sin that they committed. It means that you have a forgiveness for them to change their life like you've done mine. I used to be somebody that I'm not today. And I thank you, God, for taking my life and transforming it. And Lord, you desire to do that in mankind's lives. You did it in Zacchaeus. You can do it in anyone. Thank you, Lord. Help us to do that. Help us to embrace that, Lord. Help us to share the true gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.